It's good to see everyone today. It's a blessing to be here. Very thankful for the opportunity we have, even in situations such as this, to be able to, to come together, to encourage one another, to spend time being nourished by God's word. I invite you to get out your Bibles, to open them with me as we study today. Uh, that's where we want the focus to be. I, I want to start today um, by asking a, a question, kind of a, a Bible trivia question, although I assure you that the point of it is not trivial. Um, and I didn't actually include this in what I sent out uh, with the email because uh, I didn't want anybody to, to look at it ahead of time. So this slide is, is an extra. Um, but I want to ask you, do you recognize any of these names? Do you know what they did, who they are, or where you might find them in the Bible? Uh, Shemua, Shaphat, Igel, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, uh, Nabhi, Geul. You know, perhaps the reason we don't know these names is because they're hard to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> but do you recognize any of those names? Uh, do they stand out to you as, as characters in the Bible that, that would be memorable? Well, let, let me add two names to this list and then see if you know who they are. Joshua and Caleb. Now, those names stand out to us, don't they? And yet, this list now is the list of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan. Now, there's probably a reason that you don't remember the other 10, or at least most of you, I expect, wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, because after the very next chapter, they're all dead, and we don't hear from them again. And yet, there's a difference in Joshua and Caleb. What, what was that difference? Now, you remember the, the story in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, and that's where we're going to focus on today. Uh, but in Numbers 13 and 14, after God has brought his people out of Egyptian bondage uh, and leads them across the Red Sea and brings them out to Mount Sinai and they receive the law, and now he leads them up to the edge of the promised land and they're getting ready to enter in to this land flowing of milk and honey that God has promised to them. But first, he has them send in these 12 spies to spy out the land, to get a sneak peek of the uh, promised land that, that he has gift-wrapped for them. And yet, when they come back, we see that these 10 spies focused on the danger ahead of them, focused on the strength of their enemies, and uh, rebelled against God's command and did not want to, to go into the land. What, what is the difference here between Joshua and Caleb and these other men? Well, in, in chapter 14 and verse 24, we read that there was a different spirit that was in Caleb, and he followed God fully. There, there was a different spirit, a different heart, a different outlook that Caleb and Joshua had, they saw something different than what the other spies saw because they were looking through the eyes of faith. And that's what I want to talk about today, seeing through the eyes of faith. It's very possible to look at the exact same situation, the exact same challenge and conflict or trial, and to see entirely different things based on whether or not we're looking through the eyes of faith. What does your life look like right now? Uh, with, with the current crisis and, and the, the lockdown um, and the economic and the health threats that, that we're facing, what, what does life look like 
free. Or for that matter, for, for any challenges, any trials that you face, how do you see those challenges in your life? Well, it may say more about your attitude than it does about the situation itself. How we see these things has a great deal to do about the spirit with, that is within us. Uh, the attitude that we have, whether or not we're looking through the eyes of faith. What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? How will genuine faith affect the way we see these conflicts that we face? Um, what we should see if we are looking through the eyes of faith is what I want us to focus on. And so here in Numbers 13 and 14, I think we see a few different things that Joshua and Caleb saw because they were looking through the eyes of faith. First of all, faith sees God's strength in the midst of weakness. To give us a little bit more context here, I want to start reading in Numbers 13, verse 25. If you want to open your Bibles there with me, you can mark your Bibles here. We'll be coming back here often. Numbers 13, starting at verse 25, you remember these 12 spies have gone in to spy out the land to report back to the rest of Israel. And it says there in verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So here these 12 spies return. They show the produce of the land. They've carried back a large cluster of grapes that they have to carry on a pole between two men. Uh, And they talk about how it is a great land. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. And yet, the ten spies focus not simply on the, the blessings of this land, but on the dangers ahead. You notice they focus there on the, the large and fortified cities that they face. And not only that, the large warriors, it says the descendants of Anak or the Anakim were there, who uh, were known to be men of great stature, giants, uh, similar to, to um, Goliath. And so here they are fearful what lies ahead. And it's not just one foe that they face. There in verse 29, you see that there are many foes. You, you go down to the Negeb and well, no, there's, there's some fearsome armies that, that are going to meet us there. And, and you go up to the hill country and well, no, there's three different nations that are up there. And, and you go down uh, into the, the Jordan uh, River and the sea and you're going to have more foes there. It's, it's just foes everywhere that you turn. And that's where their focus is. But notice what Caleb says in verse 30, beginning. It says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Here, they were looking at the exact same situation. They had both been in The land of Canaan for 40 days spying it out. They had gone the same places, saw the same things, and yet they have vastly different attitudes about this because of their hearts, their spirits that are within them. 
Why? Well, the, the people were comparing the strength of the inhabitants to their own capability, whereas Caleb is comparing the strengths of the inhabitants to God's capability and God's strength. Uh, in verse 33, it says uh, that the people say, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers in their sight. Here, the, these warriors are so big and strong, their cities are so fortified, we, we just felt small. But you know, in, in Isaiah 40 and verse 22, in speaking about God, it says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers before him. All of us are like grasshoppers before God. So when we feel small in the midst of any conflict, we need to remember that God is bigger. God is bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our challenges, bigger than our limitations and weaknesses. And so instead of focusing on whether or not we are capable of handling this situation, like Caleb, we need to focus on whether or not God is capable in this situation. To him, the giants that they would face were just slightly bigger grasshoppers. Uh, they were all small in comparison to his power. And yet, from a human perspective, the, the people were correct. Yes, they on their own didn't have the strength, didn't have the numbers, didn't have the, the, the training and the ability and the equipment to, to face these foes. And yet, they were focusing on their own weaknesses rather than on God's strength. Notice in Numbers 14, the next chapter, when Caleb again speaks up in verse 8 and 9. He says in verse 8 of Numbers 14, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Why is it that Caleb said we are able? What was it that Caleb just had some overestimation of their own strength and power? What was it that he just kind of had this overinflated self-confidence or reckless bravery? Well, no, it was because he trusted in the Lord. It wasn't, yes, we have the strength. Yes, we are able. It was ultimately God is able. God has removed their protection from them. God will give us the land as he has promised. The question mark in this situation was not God's capability. It was Israel's faithfulness. And you think about the children of Israel. They had seen the ten plagues. They had seen the water turn to wine. They had seen the, the frogs, the lice and the flies, the, the locusts. They had seen the thick darkness, the hail. They had seen the death of the firstborn. They had seen the Red Sea parted. They saw the, the pillar of cloud and fire lead them through the wilderness, the manna and the quail. They saw the awesome manifestation of God's power at Mount Sinai. And yet they couldn't see God's power in the current situation. All they saw in the here and now was their weakness against a superior enemy. Is that us? I think sometimes we look at them, we think how foolish they are, all that they had seen. Well, think about us. How much of God's power have we seen day in and day out? We see the, the sun rise. We see the, the clouds pass through the heavens. We see the, the, the winds and the rains and the, the thunder and the lightning, the, the magnificent mountains, the, the depth of the oceans and their power. 
the vastness of the universe and the beauty and wonder of the life that fills it. And our God is the one who spoke all of that into existence. And we think that he can't handle the current situation that we're facing. Brother, there is nothing too hard for God. Do we believe that? How foolish we must look to God sometimes in our lack of faith. When we see all that he has done, all that he has created, all that he has done throughout history. I want us to briefly turn over to another passage in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. Here is a situation in the life of Elisha where the king of Assyria, uh, or the king of Syria, rather, um, is moving his troops to different places against the, um, the king of Israel. And yet everywhere he goes, the king of Israel seems to anticipate his movements. And he comes to find out that the reason for this is that Elisha, through the revelation of God, has been telling the king of Israel where the king of Assyria is going to be. And so the king of Syria decides that he's going to stamp this out, and he goes and he surrounds the city where Elisha is. And Elisha doesn't have his own personal army or bodyguard. This is an entire army of the, the kingdom of Syria against this prophet. And starting in verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can you imagine that? Here, you, you wake up in the morning, you come out, you, you see this great army, and they're, they're coming to get you. You can understand the fear that is going on in, in the servant's mind, and yet Elisha prays, open his eyes. And when the, the, the veil is removed and we, we see the, the strength of heaven's hosts standing at the ready, all those horses and chariots of the king of Assyria seem quite small. If only our eyes were opened sometimes to the power of God in our lives. Um, we, day in and day out, just see the, the physical things around us. But, it, but if we could see God's power and his glory, as we look into God's word and we see manifestations of his glory, we're reminded of his strength behind the scenes. How often do we become discouraged and think, well, God, I can't do this. It's too much for me. I, I don't have the strength. And you know what God saying in that situation, he says, you're right. <laughs> exactly. You don't have the strength. I do. Sometimes God brings us face to face with our weakness to help us see his strength. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you remember here as Paul talks about the challenges in his life, 
2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Paul talks about some, some weaknesses, some limitations that he was suffering. We don't know the exact nature of this, but he calls it the thorn in the flesh. He says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. From a human perspective, that doesn't seem to make sense. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why is that? Because Paul recognized that coming face to face with his weaknesses and his limitations helped him open his eyes to the hosts of heaven at his disposal, to the power of God. Sometimes we want God to help us handle the problem. We want his assistance, but we don't want to surrender control. You know, we, we, we might be, uh, so to speak, working on some project uh, and, and kind of telling God, well, well, show me what to do or tell me what to do, but, but let me do it. And what God wants from us many times is for us to surrender control to him. We, we need to say, I can't do this. I need you to take over and I'm going to stand at the ready and you tell me what to do. So when we focus on our own weaknesses, when we focus on our own limitations, um, it is true. We are incapable. We are incapable of handling even the, the smallest situation in our lives on our own. But that can remind us of the great strength that God has to provide. We can, like Paul, be content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities because our confidence isn't in ourselves. It isn't in our capability to face those giants and our capabilities to face those fortified cities. It's in God's capability. When we are weak, we are reminded of where our true strength lies. Do we see God's strength in the midst of our weakness? But not only that, faith sees God's gift in the midst of hardship. Turn back now, if you've marked your Bibles, in Romans 13. And I want you to notice something at the very beginning of this chapter. Romans 13, starting in verse 1, we're going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Do you notice what he says from the get-go here? Um, Numbers 13, uh, in verse 2, he says, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people. God wasn't sending these spies in the land to kind of determine whether or not they were going to be able to take it. God, God sent these spies in the land to give them a sneak peek of the, the present that he had gift-wrapped gift for them. Um, he was giving them this land. And that's what, what Caleb recognizes later. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us the land and give it to us. So we see there in Numbers 14, in verse 7 and 8, Numbers 14, starting in verse 7, it says, 
uh, and he said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. What what did Caleb see when he went into that land? He saw the goodness of God. He saw the blessings that God had prepared for his people. And so instead of being fearful and and afraid uh, about what what they were about to face, uh, he was joyous. The the ten spies were saying, can you believe how strong those Canaanites were? And Caleb's coming back saying, can you believe how great that land was? Can you believe what God is getting ready to give us? Do we see our challenges and trials that way? Sometimes the the blessings of our trials are not always evident to us. Sometimes we can't see the promised land past our challenges. Um, As much as we look for them, we we, we don't see what God is doing behind the scenes, but that's where true faith comes in. I I want us to consider another Old Testament story for a moment that I think really helps us understand this concept. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, this is actually one of my favorite uh, stories in the life of David. And yet it's, it's one that's not as memorable. Um, you know, many times we think about David and Goliath. Um, we think about David in his latter years after he became king or David in his conflict with Saul. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David at this time, because of the threat of Saul, is living among the Philistines. And they had given him a city called Ziklag. And he, at this point, had gone out with the Philistines and was going to to fight alongside them, but they didn't trust him, and so they send him back to the city of Ziklag. And notice what happens here at the beginning of chapter 30. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1, it says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taking captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. Let's stop there for a moment. I mean, you to imagine this situation. Imagine you go on a trip, and you come back home, and your house is burnt to the ground. Not only your house, but your entire village, your entire city, burnt to the ground, and your family, your children, And your friends' families and their children have all been taken captive. You don't know, at this point, who took them. You don't know where they are. You don't know if they're still in good health. Talk about a bad day. (laughs) And on top of all of that, your friends blame you, and so they're discussing whether or not to murder you. Do you think this is a a good situation? You, you, You think God's doing something wonderful here? Our initial inclination would be, this is horrible. 
But notice what David does. There at the end of verse 6, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. What does David do in this situation? He, they've all wept until they have no more strength, right? They recognize their own weakness, their own in, incapability. But he strengthens himself in the Lord, and he comes to God, and he seeks his wisdom. God, should we pursue them? I, I want you to think for a moment, what if God had said no? David is fully surrendering the situation to God. He's not saying, God, I have this handled. Can you just help me out a little bit? He's saying, God, I have no idea what to do. I'm waiting for directions from you. And yet, what happens? We won't read this entire section, but skip down for a moment to verse 17. They come up on the, the band of the Amalekites, and in verse 17 it says, And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. How does the story end? story ends with David not only recovering everything that he has lost, but recovering more. And then by the end of the chapter, he's sharing that with other people. Do you think when David was there mourning for his family and mourning in the ruins of his city, and they were talking about stoning him, that's how he thought the day was going to end? And yet, what made the difference was him strengthening himself in the Lord. Seeking the Lord's will in this, trusting that the Lord was in control and that God had a plan. Do you, do you think maybe challenges in our lives are ever like that? That God is giving us a great gift, and yet in the midst of the conflict and the trial and the challenge, we can't see it. We're too focused on our own fear, our own grief, our own limited abilities and weakness. We're too blind to see what God is doing. And yet, how often does God work that way? God, very often throughout the scriptures, we see taking people through the valley of the shadow of death so that he can bring them to a paradise on the other side. Because he knows that there are green pastures. We just have to trust him and stick to his side through the conflict so that we can get there. And so the, the next time that some significant trial arises in your life, maybe pause and think, what, what might God be doing in this situation? And we can't always see. Very often we can't see where that's going to end. Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, uh, couldn't see that 30 years later this was going to be a great blessing to him and his family as he is exalted to, to second in command in the uh, land of Egypt. But God was doing that. 
And so perhaps when we face a conflict and a trial, instead of thinking, woe is me, what is God doing, why is he allowing all this, maybe we need to say, God's doing something amazing here, and I just don't know what it is yet. But I want to stick with him to the end. I want to see what he's doing in this situation. Can you imagine if the people of of David's band here had followed through with what they planned on? Can you imagine if they had gone ahead and stoned David in this situation? What would they have lost? They would have never seen the rest of their family, all that they had lost. In fact, they would have just killed the future king of Israel who brought great prosperity and joy to the nation. And yet, sometimes that's us. And in our grief and our hardship and our fear, we fail to realize what God is giving to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. After talking about rejoicing in hope, we're told in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Not only do we rejoice in hope, we rejoice in suffering. Why? Because we know that God is working in suffering. Because God is refining us, he's helping us grow. Because we know that God loves us and he doesn't allow his children to suffer needlessly. And so if he is allowing us to go through a time of suffering, it's because he has a plan. Whatever that is, whether I realize it by the end of the day, like David, or whether I realize it 30 years later, whether I realize it after this life is over, God has a plan. I need to see through the eyes of faith. I need to trust that he knows what he's doing. And instead of this being a tragedy, I can know that God, whatever he's doing, is doing something amazing. I need to strengthen myself in the Lord. Have the spirit of Caleb fully following the Lord. And trust that God is at work, even in my hardships. And that brings us to our last point. Faith sees the reward of following God Fully. Turn back to Numbers chapter 40, uh, chapter 14, rather. Numbers 14. Here we see Moses pleads for the people of Israel that God will not wipe them out um, as he has uh, indicated that he will do. And in verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, and as the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Later on, we read again in verse 36 of this chapter. It says, And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by the plague before the Lord. 
Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. What the people said they feared was precisely what happened to them. They said it would be better off if we had died in Egypt. And God says, okay, wish granted. You're not going to enter the promised land. You didn't think you were able to by my strength? Then you're not going to. And he removes this gift from them. How many times do you think we might fail to see the good that God is doing in our lives because we fail to follow him fully? Because we fail to trust him in the midst of conflict. He's leading us through the valley of the shadow of death to some great gift, some great reward on the other side, and yet we don't trust him enough to stick close to his side and we end up perishing in that valley. Like we talked about the, the men of David earlier, what if they actually had stoned David? What if they had given in to their grief and their fear of the current situation? Well, then it would have been a tragedy rather than a triumph. They would have never realized the greatness of God's gift. Is that me? You know, sometimes trials are not a blessing in my life because I don't let them be a blessing in my life. Because I don't trust in God to do his perfect work within me. I don't allow them to refine me. I don't allow them to help me grow. And when that's the case, then there is no joy in that trial. You're right. And yet, if I will approach God in faith, then and only then can I have great joy in those trials. Because I know that God is working. What made the difference is what's spoken of there in chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Brethren, there, there is nothing that we need more in conflict, in trial, and our weakness than to follow God fully. We need to stick with him because he alone knows the way. He alone knows the way through that valley. He alone has the strength, has the power. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 that we read at the beginning of the service, he says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you notice that? Must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith in God is more than just an intellectual understanding of his existence. It's more than saying, well, yeah, I, I believe in God. I agree with what the Bible says about God. Faith in God means a confidence in him, means a trust in him. If, if I were to tell Aaron, Aaron, I believe in you, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, I, I simply acknowledge her existence? <laughs> Well, no, that, that would mean I, I place a measure of, of confidence and trust in you and who you are. And that is what we're saying to God when we truly have faith in him. It means we, we trust who you are. We trust your power. We trust your wisdom enough to entrust our lives to you, enough to follow you fully. We pay, place our confidence in his strength and in his guidance to follow him fully because we believe that there is great reward 
down the path that he is leading us. That, brethren, is what true faith is. That's what true faith does. And yet that reward that's spoken of is not for everyone. The reward is for those who diligently seek God. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Those who have enough faith and trust in him to follow down his path, to follow him fully, to trust in where he leads. So what does your life look like right now? I think all of us, maybe in different ways, are experiencing challenges in the current situation. We all, from day to day and year to year, face different conflicts, different trials in our lives. How do we view that? Well, how we view it is going to say a lot more about our attitude than it is about our circumstances. Because we can look at the exact same trial, the exact same situation, and we can be like Caleb and Joshua and the other ten spies. Let's commit to have the spirit of Caleb, to follow God fully, to trust in his power, see his strength in our weakness, see his gift in our hardships, and to have enough trust and confidence in him to commit our lives fully to him that we may realize the reward that he has planned through any hardship. Have you put your faith in Jesus today? Um, Maybe you recognize that you are not walking by faith, but that you're simply walking by sight. Maybe you recognize um, that you need to fully surrender, that that you've been trying to take care of things yourself uh, and not let God take control. By God's grace, you have an opportunity to surrender your life to him. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, Uh, You can confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. You can bury the old self in the waters of baptism. And by God's grace, you can walk in newness of life, no longer guiding your own steps, but allowing Jesus to guide you. Have you made that commitment? Have you continued in that commitment? Are you letting Jesus guide you today? If you recognize that you strayed from that path, won't you come back to him? If there's any way that we can help you in that, If there's anything that we can do uh, to encourage you, uh, to pray for you in your relationship with the Lord, please let us know. Uh, Reach out, whether someone here at the building or someone from afar. Uh, our, Our purpose is to help one another in our service to the Lord. And if there's any way that we can do that, we ask that you please let us know. At this time, Jason will lead us in songs.